Uh, thank you, Sean. So, welcome to Physician Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. We start precisely on time because Sean says so, and we always open with a prayer. Chaplain Lee's going to help us with that. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room, please. Let us welcome. Father, we welcome you on tonight. We welcome you into this place. We ask you, Father, just to have your way. Lord, we give you the praise in advance for what you're going to do, the lives that are being transformed. We thank you for just being here and showing up every week. We ask you on tonight that you will use your manservant to speak with a clarity the words that you place in his lips to speak to this, your people so that they will hear from you and hear through him the things that will help them to realize who they are and whose they are. We thank you and we praise you and we give you all the glory in the matchless name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. Thank you, chap. So anyone in here for the first time tonight? A few of you? Good. Now, first of all, welcome to you, and let us warn you in advance, you'll be able to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Yes? yes? And what I attempt to do is show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with what the authors have written down. If we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for folks that's what happened? So, those of you that are watching online, you couldn't see it, but they raised their hand. For those of you who are new, they raised their hand signifying for you that when we speak of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving, a, without giving you a demonstration of the power. The other little thing we do around here so that people with prejudice about the word God, most of them don't have prejudice about the word power. And since we're going to focus on the experience and the transformation and not some theology, when I say God, they say power. We also have a couple things we've been doing ever since we got access to these things streamed. They're delayed, but they're still streamed to all 33,000 men and women in ADCRR. And for those of you who left someone there and told them that you're hoping they make it here and get started on their journey back, uh, we want to make sure they know they're welcome. Also, 7,500 men and women in the Maricopa County Jail. So I think we've done all the housekeeping matters. One other thing, if you didn't know, those of you who are members here, every Thursday your family's welcome to come with you, join you in this, and also every Saturday at Chaplain Lee's service. Um, he does the recovery church service and the same as we do here. You can come in at 6.15, spend some time with family, and then he does a, a worship service. He, he's pretty used to talking to people that have had a difficult start. He, did 30 years in the Department of Corrections doing just that, and he brings that same power here to lift people up. Yeah? And if you're coming from the community and you just want to come lift everybody up with him, come on out, because we'd love to have you. All right, so tonight we're going to take a look at steps 8 and 9. And the room's full, so either you didn't get the memo or you're not afraid to grow. Um... The instructions for that start on page 76. At about the middle of the page, it says, now we need more action. When do we need it? 
How many of you have been stuck in a thought loop? Now we need more action. Make sense? We act our way into better thinking. We skipped the chapter into thinking, went right into the chapter into action. The words are intentional. Okay. Then it says, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Anyone recognize that from another text? Okay. They're not trying to indoctrinate us with theology. They're trying to tell us a simple fact that proclaiming I have faith doesn't benefit anyone else. So it dies with me if indeed I have faith. But if I exercise my faith so you can see it, then you can be inspired by that act of faith. And the benefit I get is I prove the power to me through me. Does that make sense? Okay. And then it says, um, let's look at steps eight and nine. And then they tell us an assumption. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Who's we? The first 100. So at this stage, they had a list of all the people they'd harmed and to whom they were willing to make amends. Where did they get such a list? When they did their fourth step and then whatever clarity they got in their five and they wrote it all down. Does it make sense? Okay. Then it says, um, we made it when we took inventory. And then it says, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Talking about four. How many of you found step four drastic? And then, now, I like you to focus on the words they use. Now, we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. When should I start on my approaches for amends? Now. Does that make sense? Okay. And then it says, we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So the authors are getting very intentional about telling us that willingness is divine power. So once I'm acting in a willingness I didn't previously have, I have access to divine power. And if I find I lack power, if that becomes my dilemma, have you ever had something you knew you needed to do, but you lacked the power to do it? We ask until it comes. Although it flows through me, it is not of me. Does that make sense? It says, remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. They wrote that in italics, reminding me of the commitment I made. To whom did I make that commitment? The power within me. Yes? Okay, so I agreed to go to any lengths, and I'm, now I'm stopped because of a fear that I'm going to remind myself that I'm carrying out my commitment. I'm going to ask for willingness. Does that make sense? Okay. So then they acknowledge the obvious. Probably there are still some misgivings. No shit. <laughs> Sean's emphatic. How many of you have had something you knew you needed to do, knew it was a commitment, still had a little trepidation about what you needed to do. So they, they're acknowledging, look, this is scary. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. What do they mean? Yeah, they're, they're talking about the, the idea of Either I'm afraid when I go to them they're going to humiliate me or I think they've done me more harm and we just let bygones be bygones, right? Some, something. So I may feel a little different about it because of the nature of the injury I'm remembering. So then it says, it says, we may feel different about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So they told me a couple things. I'm going to make more than one approach. And they're also telling me that after the way I have behaved in the past toward them, perhaps, they really don't want to hear about my search for God. They really want to know more about where their stereo went. 
Yes? So we might prejudice them. And the idea, I would prejudice them because I seem less than sincere if I lead with that, given their experience of me. Yes? All right, so at the moment we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So what you got to get is the ninth step is scary when we think it's about, you know, going out and leveling our pride and doing all these things. But if I don't subordinate my ego and empower the spirit, I will not get spiritually fit. So there's a purpose for this step. That is to empower the spirit so that I can walk in purpose more of the time. So this is a fitness step. Does that make sense? So then it says, it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. Back to my example about the stereo. Yes? They really don't want to care about, hear about my search for God when they're pretty sure I took their money. So in the pre prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? There's a question mark there, so they're helping us question our thoughts. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. So am I thinking somewhere along those lines? They're going to think I've gone religious. They're going to think I've... Right? Because some of us fear that. Okay. We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. But our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. Think about that as... How would you like to be approached if the roles were reversed? Instead of coming out with, I've been looking for God, sorry about your stereo. <laughs> Say, I stole your stereo. It was wrong of me. You didn't deserve it. What can I do to make it right? Different approach, isn't it? Okay. So he said he's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. And it's a fairly simple shift. We discuss, How would I like to hear it? Right? So it says, we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. Someone was on it. What did we don't use it as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. Good. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. What might that look like? Yeah, and, and if your relationship is just forming and you're not comfortable in a bunch of religious dialogue, look, I have access, power, and the purpose that I have now believed to be my calling requires that I do this in order to get right. It doesn't have to be a religious conversation. I just need to acknowledge his power, his love, his way of life. I didn't pick this, I was picked. But now that I'm picked, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry it. Does that make sense? All right, so the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. So how many of you have that? Some people don't like the word hate. Who doesn't like the word hate? Okay, so that means strongly dislike. So the, the question of how to approach the person we strongly dislike will arise. All right, so it may be that he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So what are they telling me? When the horse gets the bit in the teeth, you're going where the horse wants to go. So they're not telling me to control people, because that's an illusion. But they are telling me to advance the situation. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So they're acknowledging the obvious, and they're telling you the outcome was better than they thought. Does that make sense? What they're not telling you is go to the hardest one first, which I've heard various times in fellowship. That's not what they said. They've, get, they've laid out a whole book. The wife, the family, the employer, get a circle of support around you while you're strengthening the spirit. And you'll find when you go to the hardest one, eventually you're going to get a lot of freedom from it. But go when 
you and the Spirit are ready. Yes? Okay. So then it says, we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So they told me a little something I got to internalize. How do I get in a helpful and forgiving spirit with somebody I hated? I'm going to have to go in because forgiveness is divine as well, right? I'm going to have to go in, get centered, and get guidance and power, yes? Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. I'm not going to know that that's what's happened. That's the transfer. I no longer have this addictive focus for things outside of me. I've now found this well within me, which wells up power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. But I'm going to have to get in discipline to summon that. Does that make sense? Okay. So under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue? Simply we tell them that we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. If I don't believe that, then I can't say that with credibility. Because one thing I know about people that come to these rooms, and in this one in particular, if I don't mean it when I say it, you'll know instantly. Yes? So I need to know that the only way I'm going to get where I want to go is to make it right with you. To your satisfaction, not mine. All right, so we're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Do you notice how many times they said the very same thing? Do you think that might indicate how many times they either chickened out on going at all, or had to go back and make amends for the amends they tried to make. <laughs> the reason I want to get that part right is that is the fitness exercise, and there's a promise at the end of all that. The promise is if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So what does a calm manner look like? How many of you have had to go to make an approach for an amends? How many of you would describe your manner, at least from the, your side, feeling it as not terribly calm? So you're going to learn that it is, your feelings will lie to you. If you are there in the spirit, you will appear calm even when you are not calm. And if, you, you know, if you're sweating blood, then you probably didn't prep. You know? <laughs> What does Frank mean? Very direct. Any of you ever try and spin it so you didn't sound so bad? So the idea is, look, I don't want to do this multiple times, right? I want, I want to make this approach, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I know it to be. Yes? The way I know it, you didn't deserve it, I did it, what can I do to make it right? And then open, what's open? He may or she may have something else that they think I did. And I need to be open to hear that too without retort. Any of you ever gone to make an approach for amends and they remembered something you didn't? If you're a drinker, that's entirely possible. How many of you have had a completely different perspective of an interaction and even though the facts are the same, the perception was different. So it really doesn't matter, right? We've just got to go own it and get it right and move on, yeah? Okay. So it says, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. And if you, this is an operation, man, if you're not gratified with the result, one of two things didn't happen. One of the things you might have to be open to is you may not get a response right away. It had helped to have a sponsor or a mentor at that point to call them and say, I didn't get the response I wanted. They said, well, give it time. Right? Because sometimes people are stuck with an old idea of us. Okay? All right. So in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of your standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Back to my point. It may not happen right away, but you may be making progress you can't see. It's uncommon that you haven't made some if you've followed direction to this point.
even if you didn't see it. Remember, we now live by faith, not by sight. Yeah? Okay. All right, so our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well, and occasionally they'll offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So I've heard great debates about that over the years, whether I'm done then. I'm done then with my part. I've made my demonstration, and their response is their response. But if, in retrospect, they decide they want to hear from me again, obviously, I would re reappear for that. Does that make sense? Okay. And then it says, most alcoholics owe money. Did anyone in this room get to recovery not owing money? You did? You're the second one in 35 years. Congratulations. I don't, I don't think I'd ever quit if I didn't know everybody. Anyway. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. What are we trying to do? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of answers, but what I committed to do was awaken spiritually. And I'm hoping the benefit of that is a sober life. And that requires a whole new manner of living. So what I'm trying to do is develop better habits than the ones you know me by. And, and you're my first stop, or whatever, right? All right, so, so it says, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you thought you were pretty slick with your addiction? And when you finally admitted it, you found out you finally made it unanimous. Or they were just glad to know it was just that and not something else. Oh, good. I'm, if you're, you were high, now I understand why you were that way. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. So they're not talking about telling everyone in general. If you just run around telling everybody about your addictive history, it could well cause you financial harm. But if I've harmed them as a result of my addictive behavior, then I owe them that explanation. And if it does cost me money, that's the price I'm going to pay to, because I probably owe them money. Okay. All right. So approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So letting them know isn't the same as just saying it. I may say I'm sorry, but I'm going to show up with a plan and a payment. Yes? Or whatever it is, depending on what the nature of the wrong was. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. So again, they're talking about an experience they've had. They write this in past tense. They're not talking about what you must do. They're found in telling you what they found they must do. How many of you have found yourself in sobriety owing money and then avoiding telephones and mail? And It's uncomfortable, isn't it? So it's always about freedom. And the only way I'm going to get freedom is to honor the obligations I made to the best of my ability. Okay. So it says, we must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense, which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we were sure that we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. So this is talking to those of us who have done a lot of things. Maybe we haven't been caught for all the things we've done. And now they're saying, if those things are still occupying time and space in my head, I might want to think about getting it right before I get my feet under me and get out there somewhere and then get my feet knocked out from under me. Any of you ever done that? Like, I'm doing everything right, and then they snatch me up on some old bullshit, and here I go, right? Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. So they're going through a list of things. Don't assume, just because we didn't name your thing, that your thing isn't there. Insert 
Does it make sense? I know the crowd I'm talking to, so I don't want to talk to them about inserting their thing. But we, we, just, we discourage that. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up the alimony, number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Although these reparations take innumerable, innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So they're going to go through the general principles so that we can apply them to our interactions. Does that make sense? So reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. So we always go back to that. Where is this power found? So I'm going to have to come to myself once again. This is hard. Reminding myself this is about growing and maintaining a spiritual experience. Yes? And then it says we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing. How many of you wanted to do your thing? How many of you wanted to improve upon the thing that was indicated? So this is an intentional prayer. I've come in to, gone into myself, and then I ask for strength and direction to do the right thing. And there is one in me that knows the right thing. And it may not be the easy thing. And it says, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. When they say we are willing, that means I'm in agreement with whatever this difficulty is, even though it doesn't feel good. Does that make sense? I think we had a conversation about that just a minute ago. So... Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. So it's not good. I don't get to just go unburden myself on somebody else who, whose job it is not to carry that burden. A man we know had remarried because of resentment and drinking. He had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. So you kind of get in a sense he's come into the fellowship. He'd found a job, probably not the job, but a job. He was doing his thing with the, whoever he had met in the AA group. Yeah? And he was starting to see light again. Then it says, it would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. So we acknowledge it would have been impressive heroics, but if I'm trying to grow spiritually, am I trying to demonstrate impressive heroics? So it may seem like the right thing to me, but luckily I've got a mentor, I've got a sponsor, I've got a trusted friend who I'm going to run this idea by, and they'll say, hold on there, Baba Louie. Let's see what's necessary first. Yeah? Okay, so we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So that would have been a selfish act, making me look like the foolish, you know, the, the martyr, and I'm, I'm neglecting two families now. Does that make sense? But I can't always see that. Any of you ever been new in recovery? Like less than 50 years? So sometimes we don't see it, the way it is, right? Okay. So we suggested he write his first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and he also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. So let's stop right there. Which of those things do you think was most impactful to this furious wife? Money. I heard one vote for money. Yeah, I think it's the entirety, right? I've admitted I'm wrong and that you didn't deserve it. I've come with a payment and a plan, and I did none of that to avoid the consequence. If you want me to go to jail, I'll surrender now. 
That, who felt that? I can feel some people feeling that. That's what any links might look like. I'm still feeling some of you feeling that. So that's, they're, they're giving you a really good demonstration of what any links might look like. And then it says, of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. So then it says, before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. Spirit wants me to tell you a little story about Friend of mine here in our anonymous nature won't let me name Maddie. <laughs> Maddie got caught up in a mix and his family wanted him to go surrender before they tried him in absentia, so he left his Mexican vacation, went to the consulate. They told him to come back later because it was lunchtime. He self-surrendered, and then he came back and did 26 consecutive years in the Arizona Department of Corrections. Somebody's feeling that. He ministered to men and women the whole time he was there, mostly men, but he, he always found a way to serve the whole time he was there. I'm just telling you what any lengths might look like. He now directs our communications team, and he's still ministering to men and women. <laughs> So you might get a tough assignment, that's all I'm trying to tell you. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, asked God to help, and, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. So do you notice how they talked about a sensory experience? This is a drastic action that must be taken. I've obtained permission from those other people affected, and now I've asked God, it is a sensory experience. I really have to do this. Any of you ever had to do something hard? You knew you had to do something hard, and you had to summon it, and okay, let's go. That's what they're talking about. It's very much sensory, isn't it? They're calling us attention to the spirit that animates us. That's what we're empowering. Okay? So this brings to mind a story of one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. So you kind of got to get the guy was drinking, he accepted money from this guy, and then he later denied having received the money. We'll read through the rest of the story, but so you, you're following along. Most of us have done something like that. We've accepted money for a job we were going to do, and then we spent the money and we didn't get the job done. Some, some variation. Does that make sense? Okay. This guy was one of the more religious Oxford group members, really never joined the AA groups. He stayed with the Oxford group, so they're, they're not naming him here, but they're telling of his experience because it's profound. His church group was important to him. What he had done is he had taken money for the church fund from this man. And any of you, when you were drinking or using, discover that money had an evaporative rate in your possession that was very difficult to explain. That's what he discovered. And he didn't want to give the explanation he had, right? So he said, dude didn't give it to me, and he ruined that cat's reputation. So he felt he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. So they've listed all the others who were affected, his new business partner, his family, life they've built for themselves. So he asked himself, what right had he to involve those dependent upon him? What's our guiding principles? None without their permission, right? So I'm going to have to go obtain permission from those others. Does that make sense? And then it says, how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Well, this is a tough one because he defrauded the church community by taking the money that should have gone to them. So there was more than one victim, and it's not only the dude whose money he took 
that he said he didn't get, but the entire church community. So he would have had to go get centered in the spirit, wouldn't he? And he would have had to ask for the power to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences. Okay? So it says, after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So now you understand the importance. His, his church group was important to him. And he had not been able to attend, they're going to tell us. And he knew that he could not go before his maker knowing he had done this to them. He had to do something about it. So he saw he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Now they're going to tell you what he did. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. Can you imagine, how many of you have had a church family? How many of you have had a recovery family that you stole the seventh tradition from? <laughs> Just trying to be all inclusive. So what they're saying is, these are frightening things if we're not empowered in the spirit. Yes? And so he had to get up quietly and make an explanation. He must have been empowered in the spirit because... My guess is he didn't feel quiet. What do you think? Probably felt anything but quiet, didn't he? But he quietly made an explanation. And then it says his action met widespread approval. What action? Empowered in the spirit, he quietly got up and made an explanation. He was calm, frank, and open. And today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. The profundity of the story, folks, is the thief of the church fund is now the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of God and the, wor and the word of his testimony. Any of you recognize that from another book? Some of you are feeling that. So the chances are that we have domestic troubles. <laughs> Come on. If you had a domestic, you had domestic troubles, right? Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. Or men, or whatever, right? We, <laughs> we, doubt, we doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Where's my meth addicts? Complicated, huh? <laughs> After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicated. Now he's talking about what he sees. Pay attention, because he's, he's got to get into discipline here. How could she be anything else? Right? Go for the insight. That's what I'm seeing, worn out, resentful, uncommunicated. Wait, how could she be anything else given what I've been doing? Yeah? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it might be Christie's Cabaret. It might be the spot or the fellowship hall, too. <laughs> Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you met her or him? The understanding one. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? So another question, right? It's really not their understanding that I'm suffering from. Yeah? So a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. So that's the we. They can't live in that dishonesty for very long. What I was told early on is you're going to make lots of mistakes. He didn't say it that nice. He's, he said it a lot rougher than that. 
But you're going to make lots of mistakes, but you're going to have to repair damage as you go along because you will not carry those burdens long because of your nature. So what he said to me is, there's just no little lies. And that was the one thing I could do. I would try not to tell even the little lies. When you caught me, you got me. <laughs> because it was going to go all bad if I didn't. Does that make sense? Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Wow, there was a really defined opinions. Were there any yeses? You got a yes? Brave, brave man. So what they say is not always, we think. A lot of, I mean, you get in trepidation. Number one, they qualified it if you're sure they don't know. And so you might want to ask yourself, how sure are you? You're pretty sure they didn't know about your addiction, too. <laughs> um, but anyway, not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? That was clear no. Have you, have you heard it in detail? Is that lived experience? Yeah, you can't unhear it, can you? <laughs> Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. Right? They know I've been wild. Yes, I've been promiscuous. It was disrespectful to you. You didn't deserve it. What can I do to make it right? Without going into detail about the whips and chains and leathers and feathers. And she may insist on knowing all the particulars. So now the Inquisition comes and I'm being asked questions. And that ever happened to you? She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. So what they said is we feel we ought to say to her we have no right to involve another person. How many of you felt that's what you should say? but lack the power to keep that little factoid from spilling out. <laughs> so we're sorry for what we've done. God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Now they're going to talk to those of us who were not able to maintain silence. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So typically what happens if I cough it up is now I've ruined two relationships and it wasn't the other person's part, my obligation to this person that was violated. They don't need to be brought into it. All I did was deflect. I wasn't frank. I didn't take it and move on. And so I just wasn't spiritually fit enough. There's no sense in beating yourself up. But understand, you're going to have to stand at a podium someday and do what I'm doing because i got to make it useful to somebody, and that's what they're talking about right there. I had a justifiable exception, and I was wrong. I would have been better off to do it the way they told me in the first place. But I lacked the power to do so. And what happens when I lack power? I go into myself, and I ask for power to do the right thing, no matter what the consequence, right? I'm starting to learn discipline. All right, so our design for living is not a one-way street. Did you know that when we talk about I'm in the program, that means I am actively participating in a design for living that is designed to awaken me spiritually. A byproduct of that is freedom from worldly things. That's not the goal. It's just a byproduct of awakening spiritually. How many of you were drinkers? Did you ever get drinking seriously and were really hungry but you didn't want to eat because you didn't want to wreck the buzz? So the same thing is going to happen as you grow in the spirit. You may be hungry for worldly things, but knowing it's going to affect that spiritual inebriation you require, you'll be restored to your right mind if you'll stay in discipline. Am I lying? Who's been here a while and knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. That, that's freedom from me, so I'm free to be me. The me I want to be, not the me that gets caught up in pickles. <laughs> okay, our, our design for living is not a one-way street. It's good for the wife. It's for the husband. 
If she can forget, so or if he can forget, so can she. I like to caution people at this stage. It's best they discover that on their own. Nobody wants to be told how they should think or feel. It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. So I might have to come clean, and it might be tremendously hurtful. It may be devastating. All the more reason to summon power, right? No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. Who's the outsider? Everybody else. I have to get with the spirit and move in the indicated direction because the spirit knows the outcome. I don't even know the outcome. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. All they're saying is there's got to be some work done in them. No one could live with me if they weren't at least as sick as me. Because I didn't make it easy. I still don't make it easy, but it was worse once. So if they were sticking around, they were certifiable. Are you with me? I got some kindred spirits in here. We are perplexing, aren't we? So it's not for me now to question every little interaction. I'm supposed to believe God for what he's promised me. Power. You guys are sleeping. I don't know what's going on. And let them be them and keep seeking prayer and keep being that demonstration. And does it make sense? It says, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. So instead of worrying about what they're doing, busy myself what I should be doing. Yes? Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. You guys ever heard anyone say that? How many times this week? Anyone go to meetings regularly and hear that all the time? At least I'm sober. Sober is the absolute floor. Think about that. How many of you got sober until you weren't? Sober is just the floor from which I can consciously move into a different manner of living. So certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents who... For years, he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have had no homes today, would perhaps be dead. Any of you relate to that? A lot of people carried it, put up with us. Eventually, I, out, I burned them all had no home. But, I mean, not everyone does that. And some of you made it to gated communities. <laughs> so the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Look at the image there, Con. And think about it in light of your own active addiction. You ever seen the destruction of a tornado? Like whole communities just gone. They're saying, if you're this guy, that's how we do everyone's life. Some of you are feeling that. The gravity of that's real. We've got to own that. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. I wanted to walk you through that because of the gravity of it. If I really think you should get over it because I'm doing better now... I have missed the whole point. And when they say sweet relationships are dead, how many of you had some people that just could not get over that old idea of you? Well, I will tell you that there's a power in you that can resurrect dead. 
but I, you're going to have to serve because it's his time. All right, so he's like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? <laughs> Announcing an end to the storm does nothing for the pain and trauma of the tornado. Does that make sense? So then it says, yes, because I had to get you to a point of agreement with the authors. Yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. Does that make sense? A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Don't neglect that prayer, regardless of your belief. It's a powerful prayer to be shown the way. And I'm telling you, families like us in our role. And when we're different, they like to pull us back in our role. Because conveniently, everything that ever went wrong in the family was Joe's. And as long as I'm inebriated, I can carry that burden. But now, if I'm not going to live that way, I'm not going to play that role for you simply because you don't want to own your own selfish and inconsiderate habits. So I caution all of it. You know, we're really careful about reunification. We're not mad at them. We're saying, get your feet under you. We call people out of graves. We don't go in for them. You're going to walk out, and the family's going to see the example, and then they'll, they'll believe and they'll follow. Does it make sense? Okay. So I went through all of that to get to what they're going to tell us. The spiritual life is not a theory. Guys, we're not talking fancy constructs. We're talking about tangible power to live and to walk in a newfound righteousness. Does that make sense? And then it says we have to live it. So it's all about taking captive every thought and submitting it to the Christ within. Yes? Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. I don't need you to believe as I believe. I need to be a better example for you so when you ask me what happened, I can tell you why I believe how I believe. Does that make sense? We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. How many of you have been new, started growing in the spirit, and couldn't stop talking about it? <laughs> so they learned it the same way. Don't, don't dampen the flame of the new man or woman who's excited, but caution them that it can cause prejudice. So, you know, talk to me instead of everybody else as we're getting you, getting you growed up. huh? So it says, they will change in time. The family is still a little bit burned by the way I was to this day, and it's been a long time for me. And I'm just, they're still watching. And they have a right to do that. Does it make sense? They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. So they went through this whole thing. I want to help you understand there are some people that have passed on that I may need to make an approach to, and I can't. I had one in particular that I've shared with this group before. It was a guy called Black Wally. He called himself that, not me. He told me, I call myself Black Wally so you won't mix me up with all the white Wallies out there. 
He really did say that. And anyway, he used to go with me to the jails and do things, and then I went off the rails and, you know, just kind of went crickets like we do. And so by the time I came back and was back somewhat in my right mind, I wanted to go own that, and he had passed on. And so I'm thinking, well, there's one I can't do anything about. And anyway, one day I'm sitting down taking a youngster through the steps down in the courtyard of a halfway house, and as I'm going through his fourth step, I found out I'm sitting with Wally's grandson. Some of you are feeling that. So, we don't worry about it. If we want to make it right, God will make it right away, right? Okay. So we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. So remember, guys, I'm trying to humble myself, not humiliate myself. I did that when I treated them bad. Now I'm going in and owning what I did. And I do that with my head up. Yeah? As God's people, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. Now they got some promises for us. Look where they are in the book. Right after the ninth step. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, what phase? Steps four through nine. Yeah. We'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Halfway through with what? Yeah, the process. We think it's four through nine, but really nine's getting me fit enough to do the big amends, which is 12. So I'm going to grow in conscious relation now because all I'm doing is getting into discipline and the practices they taught me in four through nine. Right? And then I'm going to go out and serve. I'm going to go be the hands and feet because that's my job now. All right, so then it says we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Why not? Exactly. That, that's the whole point. The, the, the promises are states of being. It's not just stuff on a wall that I assign a meaning to. It's actually an awakened state. And I realize that the things I thought were the worst things I ever did in my life now have power and purpose to avert suffering for another. As long as I am empowered enough in the spirit to share it correctly. Does that make sense? We'll not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We'll comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. How many of you started working with others, even here recently, and started seeing how much freer you felt when you were lifting somebody else up? And if you keep doing that and doing that, you'll get bigger and bigger assignments. And I promise you, you will continually know a new freedom and a new happiness, and you won't regret the past, right? Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Guys, understand the process of losing the fear of economic insecurity will be won by actually walking through some economic insecurity. <laughs> we'll intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us, and we'll suddenly realize that God is... That was good. Is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? They are extravagant promises. That's why they call it out, because they, you know, we're prone to a little hyperbole, right? You guys ever spend something up as better than it was to get somebody's money? So we, we're, we exaggerate a bit. So they're saying, no shit, guys, this really happened. That's the point. Are they extravagant? Okay, we think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if you work for them. I'm not allowed to go any further because Rodney penalizes me if I go over. So thank you very much. <laughs>